Welcome to Post Break. My name is Chris Peterson, Board Secretary of the Post New York Alliance. This is our weekly discussion of all the forces shaping our industry right now. Today's topic is music editorial. Make them laugh, make them cry, scare the hell out of them. And now to introduce our moderator, he's a producer working primarily in television overseeing post-production, working on series like Pea Valley, The Americans, Sweet Bitter, and Red Oaks, David Woods. Hey, thanks, Chris. <clears throat> How is everybody? Um, I'm honored to be here to host this panel of, uh, of amazing music editors. Um, in my mind, these folks are, the, are the, amongst the unheralded magicians of the entertainment industry. I, I think of the many music-driven sequences that, have, that are burned in my memory, where music is transformed and elevated what I've watched, and, and often why I wasn't even aware. So I feel like, you know, these guys truly are magicians. Um, and, and our first uh, magician I'd love to introduce, uh, Jennifer Dunnington. She's worked uh, with critically acclaimed directors such as Martin Scorsese on The Irishman, Wolf of Wall Street, and Hugo, Hugo and the Departed. <clears throat> Rob Marshall on Mary Poppins Returns and Into the Woods, um, as well as Peter Jackson's The Hobbit. She's earned a primetime Emmy and several motion picture sound editors Golden Reel Awards. Um, we have Dan Evans Farkas, um, who's been a music editor since the mid-90s, working with composers such as Jeff Russo, Jeff Beale, Howard Shore, Mark Shaman, and the uh, directors of the likes of Sidney Lamette, Nora Ephron, Noah Howley, Steel Zalian, um, John Cameron Mitchell, and Darren Aronofsky. And he's currently finishing uh, an untitled Martin Scorsese Netflix doc series and is looking forward to Apple TV Plus's C season two. Um, he's also an Emmy winner for The Night Of, along with the sound team, and a Simti Golden Reel award winner for Smash season one. We also are lucky enough to have Sherry Johansson, a New York-based music editor uh, who's been working in the industry for nearly 30 years. She has developed, she's collaborated with directors such as Milos Forman, Carrie Fukunaga, Kevin Smith, composers such as R.E.M., Howard Shore, and Hans Zimmer, amongst others. She also has a Golden Reel Award for Best Music Editing on, her on the film High Fidelity, and a Golden Reel for the Showtime series Billions, as well as the Netflix limited series Maniac. Um, and then uh, last but not least, Todd Casal has over 120 films to his credit, um, which we will go into detail in the breakout room on each one, um, including a 30-year collaboration with Carter Burwell and the Coen brothers. Um, he's worked with the great Alan Pacula, uh, Alan Pacula, sorry, um, Martin Scorsese, Todd Haynes, Bill Condon, Michael Mann, Nora Ephron, Robert De Niro, and Ted Demi. He's worked with great composers such as Howard Shore, Alexander Desplat, Nicholas Patel, Branford Marsalis, Terrence Blanchard, Robert Glasper, Burt Bacharach, Robbie Robertson, and many others. This is truly an amazing panel. And um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with uh, Mr. Cassell and, and have you uh, speak to maybe how you got started in music editing. What is music editing? Take it away. Oh, well, I think music editing is uh, in its most basic form is cutting music into film. And I knew how to cut stuff because my father had a sound effects place and I was the guy that kept the sound effect library in order. So I was constantly cutting and putting paper leader and stuff like that. 
Uh, but he was a musician, and I was a musician. I studied piano and uh, ended up in a summer job with uh, Don LaFontaine, the voice of God, uh, the original voice of God. And we did trailers and radio spots, and they found out I could cut music, and so I just started cutting music. So that's sort of how I got my start. That's great. Um, does, does... <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, go for it. Oh, and then I wanted nothing to do with it, and I moved out to Ohio. Uh, I went to school there, then dropped out of school, and didn't want anything to do with it. But I was working at a gas station at Lebanon, Ohio, on the interstate, and about ten thirty at night, the phone rang, and it was this guy, Larry Tettenbaum from New York, and he goes, "Todd." I hear you can cut music. So I said, yeah, I can cut music. And he goes, I have a ticket for you at the Dayton airport. It's a 7.30 flight. That gets you in at 8.30. Be here by 9 a.m. So I went in, and he put me on some uh, Godfather spots. And I cut the music for Godfather spots, and he loved it. And so we created this whole uh, kind of archaic way of getting paid and I would fly to New York and stay with my sister and then I'd fly back to Ohio and work at the gas station until I got married and had a kid and once I did that flew back uh, full time that's how I got my start that's amazing um, anyone else want to comment on how they how they got into this I guess I was a sales support person. We, uh, when things went digital, I was working for the Outfit Studio Consultants and they, the first person in the industry, I think was Todd, bought one. And um, my job was to often install the gear and when it wasn't working, to tell them to unplug all the hard drives and change the SCSI IDs and plug them back in. <laughs> I remember getting calls from the mix, from you know, other music editors. Uh, they can't get anything to play. And so I was the, I supported all the, first it was the music editors, start with Todd and then, uh, then Sound One bought a bunch of them and C5 bought a bunch of them. And I made my way in because I sort of knew how to use the gear and I had a lot of records. And I thought the most interesting job was music editing. So I uh, managed to get a job as a second assistant music editor on Copland, I think, and Janet had worked on that before I was on it. For Howard, I was working with Howard Shore there, and I was also an assistant music editor on a movie called Michael for uh, the late uh, Nick Myers, who was brilliant and uh, all, drove us all nuts. But I got in, you know, I didn't go to film school. I don't know if any of us went to film school. I just have a lot of records, and I love music, and I love movies and TV, and anyway, that's my, my way in. I went to, um, I did go to film school and I started at Sound One as a messenger and through being a messenger at Sound One, I met all sorts of people and I met Todd Cassow and he hired me as his assistant after I did a few sound jobs. And um, I lasted through Mr. Todd for three years. I think I get the award of the longest Todd's assistant. And he taught me everything he knows which was amazing, and that's how I got my start. <laughs> I went to film school, but I was at a state university, and um, they had a small film program, and they were, it was up in New Hampshire, and it was, um, Ken Burns was based up there, and his head 
picture editor, Paul Barnes, uh, taught at, at my school. So I started an internship there at Florentine Films. And um, so my first job was <clears throat> on a documentary and I was, more, I was uh, you know, an intern and then became an apprentice. Um, and then I moved down to New York to sort of follow that crew because they moved up from New York to live in New Hampshire for a year to work on the baseball documentary. And um, from there, I just started meeting people at Sound One, and then I met um, David Carbonera, who's now a composer, um, but he was a music editor back then, and he was working with Howard Shore, and they needed someone who was willing to drive up to Howard's place, which is about an hour north of the city, and um, be his assistant. So I started, I, I don't, that was, what movie was that? Was that Copland? I think you did part one of Copland. I was on the rescore part. Okay. Yeah. So, and then I worked with Howard on and off for about 20 years after that. So that, that was the, I, I did work for Todd for a hot second, but, <laughs> yeah. but it was with Howard that I got most of my training. A wonderful hot second. <laughs> we all worked with Howard actually. <laughs> so I'm curious, I imagine, you know, different projects start in different ways and your involvement start in different ways. Um, so I'd love to hear from you guys either, you know, how you typically, if there is a such thing as typical, approach a project. Um, and, and, you know, I, it, I imagine it has a lot to do with the relationship with composers. So I'd love to hear anything on that front as well. It's different. Oh, go ahead. It's just every every project's different depending on if it's a TV series or a film, and even if it or a documentary, and even if it is a a film, every film approaches is approached differently. It depends a lot on the budget. It depends on how much has been shot. If it's a musical, there there are so many different things to take into consideration. Um, and go. Oh yeah, I was gonna say it, it. I've shown up on the first day of the final mix uh, <laughs> ahead of the score by two hours. Then the score shows up, and then the producer decided that they wanted to hear all the parts and rearrange all the music. And we spent way too much money cutting music on the dub stage. Um, that and I've been on. You know, you get on a thing, a, a musical, or I was on a editor's cut for a feature while the footage was coming in because you wanted you wasn't you said he wasn't giving music so he wanted somebody to start giving music so he could cut the music i mean it, it really it's all over the map i've been on documentaries that are at the point i got on to them they it was in it was three and a half hours long and they didn't have any order but they had a few scenes they liked and they could you put music on it and, uh, which I guess we, we could get into talking about temp scores or not at that point. Yeah, go, go wherever it takes you. I mean, I, I think maybe, you know, I, I, it might be good in here to, to also talk about, you know, how, what, what the role of a music editor is in terms of, you know, which I guess can, can vary a little bit show to show also when you, when you get involved. I think one of the main roles, though, is to be the liaison between the composer and the director and sort of, you know, decipher the language of music uh, between someone who sometimes can only speak in that language and sometimes with someone who doesn't understand any of it. 
So it's kind of our job to to bridge that gap and to to um, you know to to help weave those two worlds together. And it's also um, storytelling. You know, a lot of times they're not sure what the music's going to do, and you start putting music to it, and all of a sudden it's it's changing the film. Some directors love that, and some directors like don't change the script. But it's, it's you know one one interesting story is with Alan Pakula. We were doing uh, the Devil's Own, and I was doing a temp score, and he said, "Make us love this kid, Brad Pitt. Make us love him. You know, he's gone through a hard time and this and that." And so he put love, uh, not love music, but just you know good Irish soulful music on it, and and um, and it gets to the point where the audience is loving this character. And we did that through the whole film. At the end, you got tears, everything. It's just working like gangbusters. And at the end of that temp score, Alan came in the next day and sat down with me. He goes, let's make him a killer. <laughs> Let's change the whole thing. And we made him like the bad guy, the killer, you know, the terrorist type of thing. So um, working with directors, sometimes you just get to really experiment and you know throw things at movies and make different movies out of it. it's really fun yeah. now, we should probably step back and discuss what a you, you put a temp score in what a temp score is i should put it oh go in. for it um a temp score is where you take pre-existing music from other movies or tv shows and you in lieu of having a composer you tell the you know, tell the type of story that you want to tell with other people's music. So if it's an action movie, you might go to the Batman soundtrack, or if it's horror, you, you know, I worked on, um, there were, I worked on one of the greatest films uh, of the modern age, um, an art film called Let's Be Cops. And that was where I got on early. And they said, and here's a scene, you know, he's really hurting. He's, uh, he's been thrown out a window. And we need you to really punctuate that action. So I, I did one where it was like, what was going on in his head, that little sort of bells and the children's music. And another was like <laughs> the big beady action. And I gave the, as I was doing it for the editor in lieu of the director was still shooting. And I gave him, here's six things, six different moods. And he says, I, you know, they're all interesting, but I don't like any of them. I said, okay, um, I'll call you back in, in a couple hours and we'll try something else. And I remember, he was sort of like, what, I can hate everything you do? I said, yeah, my job is to try and figure out what you're hearing in your head or maybe something better than that with, with the storytelling part of the music. And you don't have to like any of it. You know, it's, I, I like, you know, and you like everything you showed me. Yeah, I liked everything. And sometimes you find out early on in temp that your idea of what the music should be and what the director's ideas are totally different colors and sometimes you get replaced. And we should, we should probably also say that the, the reason that we're doing a temp score is because we've met with the director um, and you know, like you were saying, Dan, this, this is before a composer comes on. So we, we meet with the director and, and the picture editor and we go through and we find, you know, we go through each scene and we see, they say, you know, this scene needs some help. It needs, the pacing needs some help or you know, we need this kind of music to do this sort of thing for the character. And so then that's when we go through all these different film scores and we find music until there is a composer on. 
so that it helps them with the edit process and it also helps them when they're showing the film to people so they can screen it for an audience they can even just screen it for internally to, with themselves with friends or whatever just to see you know how the edit is going and the music really helps them in the picture edit process and that's called a spotting session so yes. we usually sit down and spot the film with the director and the editor at the beginning and then once the composer's on, you would have another spotting session, possibly, depending on the situation. You know, talking about music and, and those conversations with the director, whoever the creative power that be is, and, and trying to be the translator between a composer and a showrunner is such a challenging thing. Um, I wonder, you know, what you guys have done, have you hit walls? It sounds like Dan, like you hit a wall and at a certain point you get fired, but, but uh, some other people, <laughs> other people get fired when they hit that wall. But like, I just, I, I've been, uh, you know, I've seen a few situations where it's like, you just, you feel like you've tried everything. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation where you just feel like you've really hit a wall and, and if you had any particular insights and how you broke through that in terms of finding the sound that was so elusive. And then also, you know, I'd love to hear you guys talk about how to be that translator between the creative power of the bee who sometimes doesn't have quite the same music vocabulary. And then you have a composer who is trying to understand without that musical vocabulary and you're trying to translate that, you know, be the translator between. Well, I think you, um, when you hit a wall with the director, it could be that the director just, you know, is one of these people that I don't know, I just don't know. And he's going to continue to do that. However, sometimes you can get them to start talking about their script. Why is this happening? What's the emotion of the people? And get them to open up about that. Forget the music. And um, once they start doing that, I mean, it's, you know, if they're really good at it, it's almost the same as them talking to an actor and the motivation behind the actor in, in his acting. So then, Sometimes you can, you know, break through that wall and say, okay, he's looking for, doesn't know what he wants, but he wants this emotion. And if you can hit that emotion or the storytelling, whatever it may be, even if, if it's wrong, then you've taken a good step. And because the um, director will know that, okay, I'm getting my emotion. It's still not what I want, but it's a start. And once you have a start, you can start stepping into it deeper. Dan Fink has a question. Um, is there a favorite moment where they had an idea that had a memorable impact on a scene or moment? I worked on this film back here, Dan, in real life. And I was, when I was hired, I was given like about 10 cassettes with music demos from this Norwegian rock star named Sandre Lerke. And, uh, the director said, can you just tempt this whole film with these cassettes? I was like, sure, I'll try it. I'll try it out. And um, it was just him playing guitar in his apartment. I did the temp for the whole entire film using all these demos. And the director loved it so much. We went to SIR Studios to re-record it. And he, Sandre had like, 20 of the best guitars, I believe it was SIR, maybe another one, but he had the best guitars around come in for him to play. 
And every time he tried to redo a cue, the director's like, forget it, forget it. I want to use the demos. So we ended up, we ended up using all the demo for the final score for that film. So it was basically, I temp scored the film and that was the final score. That was pretty awesome. That was my most memorable and my most proud uh, score. Yeah, because usually our temp scores get thrown out completely. <laughs> That's amazing. It was amazing. It's an amazing score too. And he was so happy. So I love, I love that one. It takes a thick skin to be a music editor because not only does it get thrown out, all of a sudden everybody says, yeah, well, that temp score, which I loved, eh, that wasn't so good, this and that. And you have to sit there and kind of go like, yeah, you're right. You know, the composer stuff is so much better, you know, so. <laughs> Uh, you have your Hudsucker proxy story. That's yeah, I should important. tell them. <laughs> well, I was working on Hudsucker proxy and the Cohen, with the Cohen brothers. And actually, I think that was the second film that me and Sherry worked on together because we were on Bronx Tale before that. And it was six months of doo-wop music. So every, every night when I went <laughs> home, I put on classical music. And I was listening to this one piece of music and I loved it and I loved it. And I got way out into the country and I said, I hope it ends soon so I can find out what it is. And I, I knew the music, but I just didn't know what it was. And it turned out to be uh, Spartacus by, uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> was it Rachmaninoff? No, 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 it was the uh, Cachetorian. Okay. So, um, so the, Ethan calls up because Todd, we, we need a temp score. Do you know what that is? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, what is it? They had never done a temp <laughs> score. All, this, all the films before, no temp score. So they sent me the film. I'm trying to find all sorts of things and this and that. And you think of them, no, nah, that's not it. No, nah, that's not it. No, that's not it. And the very first scene in Hudsucker is this long, long narration. And the camera just goes through this the, the London and and it takes about a minute and eventually goes up to the big clock and then the, and the, the, the clock hand is going up towards zero and it's this big boom entrance. And I said, well, maybe this would work. And back then it was videotape and CD players. So I, I you know, got both of them ready to go and boom, hit them both at the same time. And God, Bless it, <laughs> it just went and went. And all of a sudden the music is building and building to this giant crescendo slowly, you know, it's like, and it's, is, it, is it gonna make it? Is it gonna be too, you know, and it's just, and the camera's going up and sure enough, right when the, the uh, hand hit 12, the music did its big boom. And that became what we put a click track to and re-recorded and throughout the whole film. So I'd say about 80% of that film is Cachetorian that I cut. And the yes. other one is, is stuff that Carter Burwell did. And he kept trying to, you know, do his score and to his dismay, they just kept wanting to do the uh, temp score, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other side of it, right? The, <laughs> when when they, they either hate, they, they hate the temp, throw it out or, or love it too much. Right, well, they loved it not too much because they actually used it, yeah. yeah. Okay, opposed to never being happy and never, you know, because a lot of times you can't use a temp score just because of you know the finances involved, and unions and all that stuff. Another question. Oh, sorry. 
Another part of being a music editor, which I learned from Todd, is working so closely with the composer and um, helping them with the instrumentation and the mood and the tone. And if they have questions, just really having your input as well. And um, like Todd said the other day, it's like you're producing in another business, you know, you would be called a producer. It also. Go ahead, James. Oh, I was I I forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> it happens to music people. <laughs> so so you're in the spotting. We kind of been following this a little bit along the the trajectory of a of a of a project. You're you've you've you're having the spotting session. You're there with the picture editor and director and creative power that be and and. You know, you have a you have a temp score you feel pretty good about. The composer goes away. That you you kind of know where your ins and your outs are going to be. You have a plan. What could go wrong? I mean, the music should just drop in at that point, right, guys? It should just be smooth sailing from here on out. You've already done all the work, right? Right. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> then Jen, take this one. His or her turn at taking stabs at what the new music will be, which they often go through the same thing that we do with the temp score. You know, trying something it doesn't it doesn't stick for the director. Trying something else, trying something else, and then of course the picture's changing the whole time. So if you write something for say a four minute scene, then they'll come to show it, and the scene will suddenly be two minutes long. So even if the director likes it, they have to rework it, or we have to rework it so that it fits the new length of the scene. And that's something that goes on through the whole process up until and during and through the final mix as well. So, you know, in between figuring out the score, then recording the score, editing, mixing the score, and then doing the final film mix, the picture's changing throughout that whole process. And we have to keep up with all of those changes and, and keep the composer in the loop so that they can change things on the scores before they record. But then we also can keep editing the, the audio if they're not able to record to the final picture. A lot of times composers, once they're done recording, they just go like, see you later, Todd, it's all up to you. I don't want to know. You know? <laughs> and other ones want to, want, to, want to know everything. Don't you cut anything without telling me. Remember hearing stories where there's a composer that wouldn't let the music editor cut the music? Oh, yeah, I've had a bunch of those. of those stories. I've been on those. But I cut it anyway. I remember what I was going to say. There was this uh, temp that I did. I had, was back when we had some time and I four months and we'd gotten it into a place and I finally got to meet the composer. I was a big fan of the composer. Um, they came in from LA for the screening and I said, I'd love, pleasure to meet you, so-and-so famous composer. And they said to me, oh, you're the music editor, you're the temp. Yeah, well, you've made my job easy because that is by far the worst temp I've heard in my <laughs> <laughs> and it took me a long time to realize that this was said in front of the director as a way of positioning. It wasn't about, it was about saying, I'm going to do better. It's composing yeah. 101. They teach that. And that's brilliant. Any yeah. composing thing. Always put down the uh, whatever music. The score. score. Yeah. yeah. And then what happened was they did this score that was, um, and then they went on a, like you said, the composers go away. They went on a camping thing where they were off the grid. And um, the famous producer who was known for throwing staplers at assistants saw it and said, get him on the phone. 
I'm sorry, get them on the phone. Well, we can't get a hold of them. They're out. Well, they need to come back and make it sound like the temp because the temp does what your score didn't do. <laughs> and that was, I didn't really feel, feel, I mean, I felt a little sort of just, uh, what do you call it? Schaden is that German word, but uh, on the flip side, I was a little terrified because we were on a dub stage and we had to get this music out. And which also the other point I have is uh, they get, they fall in love with the temp in a really bad way. Right. I've been on the call where they were out on the West Coast with the composer. They didn't have the budget to fly us out. We were sitting in New York listening to the director and the composer playing back the cues to the scene. And the director kept saying after, can we hear the temp? Those are the, some of the most terrifying words you can hear in a music review because there's, that means that there's something they really like in the temp and you're not hearing it. I'm sure everybody else can speak to this now. Love. <laughs> well, part, of the, part of the trick to that is to, is to make sure that the director is at all recording sessions. Because if he's not at the recording session, he's, he's going to pick something because he wasn't there. He didn't do it. Yeah. If he's at the recording session, you can really put him in a corner and say, is this good? Is that what you wanted? Blah, blah, blah. And if he didn't like it or if something isn't right, and sometimes just as a music editor, you, you know what he wants, you're hearing the music come out, and you know what to change already before anybody even wants to know that there's going to be a change. Um, but then you kind of coach him into saying, well, I didn't like this or I didn't like that. Then you get the composer in because he's usually conducting and you explain the situation. The composer does something sometimes so simple that as a music editor, I would never even think of, you know, like, well, let's just make the basses play an octave down or uh, let's take the flute and make it an oboe or, you know, just something simple, nothing else than that. And the director hears it and goes, my God, it's great now. It's just what I wanted. I fixed it. And he will defend that music to the end of time because he helped create it. And that's part of what's going on here, you know? So they must be at the recording session because then it's their baby. Now, that, that assumes that there's a budget. I, if you were, I even worked on TV. When you get on TV, uh, the latest, the ones I've worked on, composers are delivering cues at three in the morning. Yeah. Them are in the box, um, or they've tracked the guitarist a week before the strings. And if you're lucky, they've, they've shared stuff before the review the day before the mix. I mean, I guess that's a whole th thing about movies versus TV, you, there's a luxury to big budget movies that you just don't have on a, on a you know, episodic TV. You've got just much shorter deadlines. And yeah, you, then you've got to sort of become that cheerleader for the score or the, uh, you've got to do more interpreting like Todd said. Well, maybe, what is it that, that, that you like about, about it? You start with the positives. And then you find out that, like you said, it's, well, they don't like the way the flute is, but maybe you could replace that. What if they replace that with a guitar? And then if you're lucky, you get down, you know, they send you a new stem for that and you, and you move forward. But I guess we're going into the weeds with the... Uh... <laughs> you're in the weeds there. It's perfect. Um, the, you know, I would love to... Um, um, there's some questions about on the chat about it, and I think it's a good time for it maybe which is what's how do you guys collaborate with 
uh, picture editors as it relates to score. And then we should probably introduce source music also, which obviously has a, an, a huge impact on projects that use, use a lot of it. Um, you know, how, how, how do those, how have those relationships gone for you guys? How do you approach them? I think we typically have pretty close relationships with picture editors because they, we have more access to them, first of all. Um, I mean, different directors work differently, but oftentimes they, they're, they're just not around as much. And you're, you're kind of speaking the same language, the, the music editing and the picture editing, it's, it's kind of technically very similar. So you, and they also work so closely with the director that they really know what he or she is looking for and wants. And they're putting music in too as they edit. It's usually we don't come up with every single piece of music, but um, you know, they'll be in early in the edit, they'll start off with music from their own libraries or from the music supervisor. And then we come in to, you know, help with the ones that aren't working and, and you know, find alternates for the pieces that, that, that haven't been doing what they wanted to. Um, but I think in, in my experience, that's, I've been very close with the picture editors because, you know, like what I just said, we speak the same language and we, and that person helps me to get the score and the music that the director's looking for. And I will say there are some picture editors out there who are brilliant music editors. Yeah. There have been their jobs where I'm, you know, I'm looking for this mood. And you give me a bin of happy car salesmen. And I'll, oh, here's, here's 300 tracks of happy car salesmen. And they go with it. And they say, I have a problem with the, this one scene. And I'm, it's not that I'm just, it's not just that I'm lazy, <laughs> but it's, I think also good for the relationship with the, with the pic, the best thing you can do is have a good relationship with the picture department. The worst you can have is where you get antagonistic and you're, they're trying to one up you or something. It's, but uh, yeah, some of the best music editors I know are, also happen to be picture editors. A lot of music editors go on to become picture editors. Mm -hmm. um, I think a picture editor, like Jen says, it is sort of be like your secret Swiss army knife into knowing what the film is about. Because a lot of times the director won't tell you or you know, he'll have a different take on things. And then the picture editor, we speak the same language. So you get that going. Um, it used to be that picture editors very rarely would use music to cut to. Now it's almost exclusively, I can't cut without, um, without music. They use the timing of the music to help in the timing of the visual. The Coen brothers are an exception to that. They um, always deliver the, the film without any music whatsoever, unless it's on camera music. And that gives you a tremendous amount of freedom to uh, figure out uh, what might work in, in the film. And it, it's sort of, doesn't box you into what a picture editor was thinking or grabbing at the last moment or just, you know, just so that he had something to cut to. Um, a lot of, like you say, Dan, a lot of picture editors are brilliant. There's a lot of picture editors that think they're brilliant, but they really don't have great taste in music. So yeah. it kind of, kind of really boxes you in, boxes the composer in because the rhythm 
of the music is now going to be the rhythm of the music he has to write, um, opposed to pulling the music out and cutting the picture just for picture's sake. And I, I actually had this situation with a director recently, and you know, I won't mention names, but the director basically said, "I have to have music. You know, I can't cut otherwise." And I said, "Well, you know, it's like a lot of the great, great." directors and film editors, they didn't use it. And they, you know, they just made sure visually that things were, were working and story-wise that things were working. And it always seems to me that, um, this is what I'm telling you, it always seems to me that the music works best when you have picture that has been done that way. So two weeks, he goes, absolutely not, forget it. You know, you're living in another world. But two weeks later, he comes back, he goes, you know that one scene we're having problems with? He goes, I took the music out. I just cut the picture. I can't believe all the crap that we took out, this and that, blah, blah, blah. So it has its, it has its uh, you know. I, I, worked on a, I worked on a documentary that the picture editor said they don't need a music editor. He's really good, I'm, they're, they're really good with music was the line, but they brought me in because I've worked with the director before. And it was wall-to-wall -wall music. And it was too long and the scenes didn't, there was no buoyancy and, and what we all know because it's what we do, as, as and Todd said this in our preview, you know, we, we know, we, it's not just that we know how to edit music, we know movies, we know storytelling in movies. And I, ha I basically had to plead with the composer and the director and said, can we just go screen this thing without music? And we went across the street and watched the down and the scenes just sat there. There was no drama because it had been, you'd just been plastered over with music. Carrie, you were gonna say something? No, I was just agreeing with you. Like you have to leave space as well. You know, wall-to-wall -wall music just can suck the drama away. So you have to know when to, put it in and take it out and you just kind of have to feel it um, in order to help with the storytelling. Back yeah, less is often more. Yes. Well, just to kind of go against the grain here, the first Scorsese film that I did back in 80 something, 87, was Color of Money. And we screened the film with absolutely no music in it and it was so tight and it was so good. And I'm sitting there going like, where are they gonna put music in this thing? And by the end, it was wall-to-wall -wall music. And it was great. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it could go either way. I mean, it was just like I, I was sitting there amazed, you know, to like for like two or three months. Hey, let's get another one. And he's getting music in from all over the world, you know, brand new music from all the pop stars that became a bandwagon. Throw this here, throw this here, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's not so much. I mean, that's score plus source, songs. So let's maybe now's yeah. a good time to talk about the songs. Okay. Oh, <laughs> sing it. Sing it, baby. <laughs> well, you know, so part of our job is cutting, you know, working temp scores and working the score in or on that one job, waiting for the score to arrive in the dub stage so we can all hear it for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, but then the, the other, you know, we cut music, we cut songs. Music is, uh, tends to be 4-4. Four, four. So you, we're, it's a, we've got those waveforms and we line up the beats and anybody, I tell you, anybody can cut music. What? <laughs> Anybody can cut music, but cutting it to picture is the, the whole other thing. You've got all these points to hit. You've got a, and if it, if it, even if it's a background thing where they walk into a bar, I remember it was, we, have, we used to get all these CDs. This guy 
would come around with a CDs full of like rock and roll country and it was, they were the worst music you'd ever want to listen to. But if you put it in the background and somebody walked into a bar and there was this sort of innocuous country music playing, you knew you were in what kind of bar you were in. And you know, that's, and, and the, how do you do, you know, there's a million ways to get in and out of a scene with a song. And then there's montages. Uh, montages are, uh, maybe, I know they're both my favorite and least thing to cut because you, just, you're telling all that story with music and, you know, over the and around the image and often the picture, they don't want to change it when you tell them that you've got to need an extra or too little. I'm sort of rambling about source music. I'm going to pass it over to Jen who's smiling. <laughs> I'm just listening to your <laughs> um, I don't know Sherry you say something about source music okay source music is di it's different in every project um, some some films actually as we all know will be driven by source music and have very little score and the source music is giving you the emotion and is trying to do what the, the film score by a composer would normally be doing. Um, and source music is sometimes just diegetic in the background, like Dan was saying, in a bar or whatever. I remember there were many times where I was trying to find a perfect piece of source music and I'd be at the subway and the guys would be selling the CDs and I would buy it because we're a lot of times just trying to find something that works. You know, you could spend so much time. Music supervisor usually gives you a folder, if there is a music supervisor, a folder of music that you, that's within their budget and you can use. Sometimes you don't have a music supervisor and it's just, it would be up to us. Um, there are uh, music libraries that you can grab music from and you're just really, it's, it, it's different. There are many different situations for uh, source music. The one thing you shouldn't do is pull music off of YouTube. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> because you may never find it, you may never license it, and the director may love it. The director will love it. If they pull it off <laughs> YouTube, there's guarantee the director is gonna love that version that is of something that is a different speed and a different, it's not, it's not at all, licensable. I, I tend, I, on TV series, I try to get the picture assistance. I, you know, I, this is my, please just don't do it. And then you'll come in on a Monday and, well, I, the editor was working, so they downloaded a guy playing a, uh, an Irish reel. And we licensed the Irish reel and put it in the background in the thing because sometimes, and I'm guilty of it too. I remember I was looking for, um, they had a scene in um, Crime where he has a flashback to his m m grandmother in a babushka. So I went to, this is way back, Napster or something, and I typed in Balalaika and I found something. And I was able to track it back to an artist and I Googled the artist's name and I found a picture of that artist's tombstone. And then we were able to find people who played on the record and Jim Black, the music supervisor, who told me never to do, never to go to, you know, steal <laughs> stuff from the internet for, um, we, we, they said, oh, they were so thrilled to be in the movie. They, they just give it to us. And we ended up having to plead with them to, so we could pay them something. They got a grant. I have um, one of those stories where I did the big faux pas on Billions. There was last season, 
there was a scene at St. Gennaro's Fest and we needed St. Gennaro's Fest music. And there was nothing that we could find at the library, that I could find in the music libraries that, um, that worked there. Oh, I got a whole reel of that stuff. Uh, oh, I should have asked. <laughs> in the future. Well, I found this, the Staten Island newspaper, there was some video promoting the St. Gennaro's Fest. I don't even, I'm not even sure exactly, but it was affiliated with this newspaper. And I, this track, it was perfect. It fit perfectly. Again, Jim Black yelled at me because I used it. Hi, Jim, if you're there. <laughs> Jim Black, we love Jim Black. He's we love Jim And um, I had to find this guy. I like did all this research. I found this guy. He was like a retired teacher. He was like this little nevishy guy. He, he had never heard of like Showtime or Billions. But, and he couldn't even figure out how to like get it out of his garage band to get to me. I almost had to go to his apartment to, to help him. My friend, composer friend Eric, who's on there, hi Eric. He, um, we were able to get it from him and he, Eric mixed it and we put it into the film, and, I mean into the show and the producers were really like, they loved it. And, and the guy was so happy and he, but he still remembers, every, all these editors here I'm sure remember Stellina's right? Yes. EOS. <laughs> the bar across the street and the and the guy that played the old man that played the accordion with the drum machine every night who was amazing is like we needed some music like that I brought Ethan Cohen in there I said this is the guy and he goes he sure is and we grabbed him and and uh, put him in a studio and and uh, he recorded music and it's in a serious man well, not a serious man it was in uh, the man who wasn't there but it turns out just it turns out that one night I'm sitting there at the bar, probably with Sherry, um, and this woman comes in, I mean, it's right in the Broadway area, and this woman comes in with a fancy mink stole and this and that, and she just, you know, dressed to the nines, and she looks over and she sees this guy playing accordion and starts crying. And she goes, Maestro, what are you doing here playing the accordion? And it turns out he was like a real famous opera composer and conductor and producer and he had done hundreds of films in Romania or somewhere in the Eastern Bloc and, and he was here doing the uh, accordion stuff so wow. that's the story huh? <laughs> wow I think we're almost to the moment where we need to take questions I want to try and work a really quick one in and maybe it's appropriate that it's at the 11th hour so I, this happens in TV quite a bit. I don't know if it happens in film quite as much where you're on the mix stage, you're, you're in your final round of notes, let's say, of, of finishing a mix. And I am always like pensively holding my writing instrument, hoping to not hear any score notes because at that point, the options are fairly limited in terms of how you can quickly address things. And I've always thought this is where music editors, especially in television, just really come out as the magic saviors of the moment. Um, can you speak to that, any of you? Um, I can. At, at that point, I, I'll do it real quick and get out of your way. It's louder, softer, sooner, later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those are your options at that point. <laughs> I don't, I've been on, on, uh, on this show, Warrior, from Cinemax. We had we had, you know, at this, we were in season two now, which is going to air in October, I think. Um, and we had a bunch of themes for the characters. And we had a scene, we're watching it, and it, the dubbing, one of the dubbing mixers says, 
you know, we could really use a piece of music here. And my producer chimed in with, yeah, you're right. And I said, oh, give me a minute. So I put my cans on, my headphones on, and I went through, I keep a, a library of all the pieces of score, and we have all the stems. It was actually the character's theme I used, I made a variant of it on the spot tailored to that with, by substance, you know, removing some stems. And I made sort of a pre, a pre-cue of the character's theme that brought us through this one moment where they were, you know, they're gonna fight, because that's the kind of show it was. And it, you know, we, we do a lot of, I wouldn't call it fixing it, I'd say, I'd call it retailoring the score yeah. to, to the wishes of the director on the spot, you know, 10 minutes before we're done for the day. It's and that's, that, that's part of the job. Sherry, go ahead. It's like a, just a lot of quick thinking and it's almost like Sudoku sometimes. I think music editors are really good at Sudoku. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like trying to figure out like a quick way you can fix it, like what Dan said, you know, by like just removing some stems, muting parts of it. It's just, there is always a way around it, but I think it's a, it's like an intuitive thing as opposed to necessarily a learned thing. I mean, I think we've all learned over the years and then it just becomes intuition to us and then we're just able to quickly come up with the correct answer. Yeah, you just get faster at it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what advice or suggestions do you guys have for people who want to get into this? I mean, it's it's a bit of a, it can be a world that's a bit obscure to most people. So I, I wonder what advice you have um, or suggestions. Well, we were talking about this in our pre-meeting. Um, I was fortunate enough to know all the music editors because I sold, I was worked for the company that sold them all the gear. Um, Sherry was working at Sound One where they had a the messenger table right out front and everybody met everybody. Um, Jen made her, I mean, there's a, there's sort of, there aren't a million paths in. It's like Devil's Island. All the waves go out except for that one. Um, and now it's, we were talking about PAs on jobs. I The last job I was on, I was on the center and there was a PA and somebody said, she wants to be a music editor. Can she come by and talk to you? And I think we need a way of getting PAs who are interested in music is because most of the PAs want to be picture editors and directors. Um, that would be helpful. And we also, I don't know if you noticed, there are way too, there, I'm not, uh, there's, we're all white. There's a lot of white people in this business. It's not just music editors. And we need to be hiring more people who aren't. And I, as I'm not, I don't get an assistant. I had an assistant in the last 15, 20 years, I've had an assistant for about four weeks. Um, so that's, I, I came in as an assistant. That position is few and far between, particularly on the, I work on a lot of TV and small docs and indie movies. On the bigger movies, I know, uh, Jan, you get an assistant sometime, right? Sometimes, but- You wanna speak to how people become your assistant? Well, it's hard to find assistants now because there's not a lot of music assistants, period. So we have found people who were assistants in the studio um, because that is a place where you can still, there are still entry level positions there. And they do have interns that move up to assistants. And then if, if a film music editor 
needs a music assistant, that seems to be the place where they nab them from. Because you can't keep providing that work for people. You can't provide enough work for an, a music editing assistant because we, we hardly ever get them. So only on really big shows are we able to bring someone on. And even then it can't be from the beginning, which is when it should be because that person is going to be the person to keep all the files organized and needs to understand what the film is in the process and where, how you want to set the job up. But we have to do all that at the beginning on top of doing all of the editing that we have to do. And so then when the assistant finally is allowed to come on much later on the project, they spend the first three weeks just trying to get up to speed because you're, you're moving so fast at that point that it's really difficult for them just to drop in and, and, and you know, continue on with you. I kind of tell them they have to learn from osmosis, you know, just be there and, you know, it's going so fast, like you said. Yeah, but it's not really fair to them because they're... It's not they're, fair to anybody. It's not fair to the film, you know? So... Yeah. Do you guys want to talk about what software you have, what, what equipment you use to do the work? I think we're all on Pro Tools now, right? We it's have all Pro Tools, except in Todd, you said in LA they're using Nuendo? Uh, some people are. Del Spiva, he, he uses Nuendo. Uh, I think a few others, not Del Spiva, um, Fernand Boss, Fur Boss. He's a you know, big time music editor. Uh-huh. Um, part of the problem with using anything other than Pro Tools, is that what the question was? Sorry, space like, out. Well, just what do you, I, I think they would be helpful for folks trying to get into it to know what, what software you guys use. What well, you, have to, you have to know Pro Tools. Yeah. Yeah. It's Pro Tools. The, well, it's it's Pro Tools, and if you're not using Pro Tools, the studios could look at you and go, you know what, you're gonna be on a $1,200 an hour stage, and you're gonna be the only one with Logic, or the only one with Nuendo, or the only one with this, and nobody knows how to fix that stuff. If you have Pro Tools, we got 20 people on the, on the stage area that know how to work those things. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really become down to the, I mean, that's why I really had to get out of Sonic Solutions, among many other reasons, but at that yeah. point where the studios were just saying, uh-uh, you know, we can't take a chance. Yeah, it's, it's all Pro Tools. And sometimes on a big job, you might have a music editing rig feeding the mix, but on 99% of the things, you send them, these are my tracks, and they're mixing it all on one big session. And then if I have to do a fix, either I sit in the mixer's chair for five minutes if it's fast, or I work on my laptop and then fly the fixes in. Yeah, um, I do too. Yeah, I see a good question from De Deborah Wallach in the chat. Um, have you guys been interacting a little bit more with sound effects or composers? I've, I've noticed it, I don't know if that's anecdotal, that I'm hearing a little less in, in scores these days, a little less uh, like definable instruments and a little bit more ethereal kind of sounds generated from I don't know what. And I wonder to what extent you guys are either working in conjunction with um, or complementing sound effects. Not, not I'm not. Um, you know, just, I think it's on the film, like, you yeah. know, some films we, we do collaborate and um, especially if there's pitches involved with, you know, I don't know, like a trail or something that's like a prominent sound effect, but it's during a prominent cue, then we'll just make sure things are sort of going to jive harmonically. 
Um, not that they have to be the same note and be ridiculously in sync, but just something that won't tug your ear and feel and off. Then, and the other thing is frequencies. I mean, it's like if you if you have a scene that's going to, let's say it's a car on a highway, you know, you're in a drama scene and there's this low rumble. You don't want to add to the low rumble with basses and th things like that. And a lot of times the composer or the sound effects, sound effects guy, they might realize, okay, this is potential area that could be a problem. And they get in touch with the composer and say, I'm going to have this low thing here. Can you do something else? And the composer might say, well, why don't you do something else? I'll do the low thing, but, but whatever it might be. But at least it isn't, you know, everybody creating mud. It's a case-by-case, case, though. It's a case-by-case case basis. Yeah, it's, it's part of the spotting session, too, often. If we, we, you'll, part of our job is to see where that clash is going to happen. Or if there's a pre-existing drone in the sound effect that the picture editor put in, you, you might say, is, how do you feel about that? Is that something you're going to want sound to do? And then that's where your job is to mediate between everybody to make sure it's not a train wreck or a big, muddy mess. Yeah, sometimes those things don't come out until the temp or even the final. Right. Um, and then usually music wins, but not always. <laughs> and sometimes you have to, you know, most often the, the sound effects editor will, will, you know, adjust things so that there is more harmony between the two. It depends on the dynamic of the room. I mean, who's in control? And, you know, so you've got your, your, re-recording mixer, the music editor, the effects editor, it's like, you know, if you, everybody knows each other, you can all throw up suggestions, and if not, everybody's going to try and power through, so. But in the end, I mean, it's always what's best for the picture, it's. Yeah, but everybody thinks different things are best, you know. Well, yeah, but even if we're right. Well, we're, music <laughs> editors are always right. We're always right. <laughs> I've never heard otherwise. <laughs> Speaking of who's always right, um, can you guys talk about your relationships with music supervisors? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> in what way? Uh, that was the question. Um, I'll frame it. Um, well, I guess what is the what are some ways you've worked with music supervisors that have been really successful? Maybe that's a good way to go into it. I imagine you've worked with the same music supervisors on multiple projects. The music supervisor's role is different uh, in every project as well. So it really depends on the project and how involved the music supervisor is and how, how much we interact with them. Some music supervisors are hired literally to just license and that's it and have no creative input. Sometimes music supervisors are hired to have a lot of creative input and kind of be there for this, to have input in the score as well as the source music. Sometimes there isn't a music supervisor, but um, it's usually, a, I mean, it's a, always a good relationship, you know, and there aren't, just like there aren't that many music editors, there aren't a ton of music supervisors in New York either. So. We all know them pretty well, I think. Yeah, and it's interesting where where the, the job of the music supervisor, part of it is to pick the key songs. And I think we've all been on projects where the picture apprentice picked the song that's the heart of the movie, or you know, somebody somebody who's not the music supervisor. And often we pick the song because it's midnight and we're there. 
and they say, uh, you know, got anything better than Sinatra? And we say, oh yeah, uh, the Doobie Brothers are better than Sinatra, right? Here. <laughs> or maybe it's the other way around. But yeah, it, it goes, it's, it's, it has to be a, we, I've been to music, I've gone to a music supervisor's house with my rig and we had to replace all the expensive music on a low budget indie with library music that sounded like Benny Goodman. And so, yeah, I just brought my, my laptop over and we hooked up some speakers and we did it. So it's, it's all over, but yeah, try not to be antagonist with them. Most of them show up, some of them don't. And that's often not good for the process. But it is usually a, a very collaborative relationship and they do, you know, provide us with like what Dan was saying, like, you know, thing because the, you know, the director and picture editor put in the Rolling Stones or whatever and they can't afford it. They come up with a lot of different options that is, is in the budget that we have to cut and present um, and hope that it'll be accepted as a replacement. So they, they do a lot of that work that I'm glad I don't have to do. I, I like looking for music, but I, it's really exhausting to do that replacement stuff and to come up with 15 options that are just the right price. So that, um, that alone is something I'm very grateful for. Right. It's nice when they'll send you a folder with like 20 songs and say, here's, here's your options that are within this budget, you know, go with one of those. There's a question. Somebody, what, what is a, a what does a music supervisor do? And I mean, it's it's everything from just clearing the music, you know, making doing the contracts, getting the quotes, to giving you 17 songs, to recording the songs that are going to be featured in the, you know, to being to to making sure the the recording sessions all taken care of. And we get. Let's, let's be clear on one thing. They they very rarely supervise the music for the film. Very good. They don't really have that relationship that we were talking about with the director for every scene and, and what does this mean and the composer and all that. They're, they're not like the music director or, you know, some sort of, um, you know, in charge of everything to do with music. They have a lot, some of them have a lot to do with things, but it's mostly source music. And it may be an opinion. I mean, maybe they have a great relationship with the director, uh, but generally, I don't know that supervise. They don't supervise me. And they, I don't think they supervise music editors. They don't supervise, you know, the, the picture department or anything to do with music. No, but they help. They do help supervise the music. Like, like, like on a musical, the music supervisor will be much more involved and. On a musical, it's a totally different thing. Yeah, yeah. dealing with a lot of that stuff too. I just remember on season one of Smash, Jim Black, who lives out in New Jersey, where I live, would drive in at seven o'clock every day to do table reads and pitch songs because they were going to have to record them in Times Square or whatever. He would get home at 1130. I remember on season two, he wasn't on it. They had five people doing his job because if it was just everything, that was a job opposite of you know what Todd was saying where the music supervisor was totally involved all day every day right and it was too much even. oh Chris do we do we have I don't know if we need to wrap it up or if we have time for another question sorry that we just kind of kept rolling so I was trying to get as many questions possible no that's quite all right this has been great I think um 
one just one point we'd like to focus back on is that of the role of assistants and apprentices. Um, do we know why that that role seems to be disappearing or not used as much, especially on the smaller productions? Is it just a budgeting issue? And then relatedly, how can younger people who who comprise a lot of our membership in the PNYA, how can they train up and educate themselves and, and break into this role if it's a role that interests them, absent the idea of having worked at, at Sound One or an equipment manufacturer or something? I think that they need to, I think being in the Post Alliance is a great tool. I think that, you know, being involved, meeting, just meeting people, meeting music editors, talking to music editors, um, I think what Dan said about being a post PA, I think that that might be the way in now. I really do. Like, I think if, I think if you're interested in being a music editor, you should try and get a post PA job because when you have downtime, you can go and sit with the music editor and you can learn. You can't, they don't really hire, let us hire interns even anymore because of there was a, a lawsuit and um, so that's not even really an option. So I would- It has to change so it is more an option again. And I, know. I, I don't know that, how to make that happen or who to press to make it happen. But it, it is, I don't know who will take our places when we drop dead or retire because um, we don't have people that are learning under us on a regular basis. And, you know, you, you'll have people that will get hired, but they, they'll lose a lot of experience that we can share with them, just like we had people above us that, that taught us when we were first learning. And, and it's a shame that we, we can't pass that on as well. I think we need to talk to the union about it, because I think that they need to, we have to somehow have, there needs to be some kind of position or some way that they can get in. I just, I don't know. I don't know. It is a problem though. It is, uh, I, I do teach a course in music editing at NYU. Um, most people that take that course are composers. Uh, it's a grad school course. And most of them have, you know, very little interest in music editing when they walk in, but a lot of them have a lot of interest when they walk out. And, they, and I try and stick with the creative stuff because I think, you know, if you learn Pro Tools, you can learn so much on YouTube. You can learn, you know, about film and get some books on what is the craft of film because you really have to know all those things to be a music editor. Uh, but the creative part of music editing, that's, that's where the uh, apprenticeship really, really helps, you know, to see what is a creative decision. And like just taking a cue and, and maybe moving it a foot one way or the other can, can make the difference between something that doesn't work and something that works like gangbusters. And mm -hmm. Just to be able to see it working like gangbusters all of a sudden, I've seen so many light bulbs go off above people's heads like they never even thought of that, you know? And you don't have to think about it, just move it and see what, it, see what happens. Yeah. So as composers, they get stuck and I start here, I end there and nothing mm -hmm. ever shifts. So. And a lot of them are, you know, go on to become composers and fairly successful composers. And they, and I, you know, they write me and they say, boy, the stuff I learned as a music editor really, really has made a difference. So, because we don't get that anywhere else. So I think all of you 
music editors up here should be teaching. I am. Um, I think I'm going to be teaching in the spring session next year at Brooklyn College. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one way, that's one way that maybe that they could become assistants because if if like NYU, I've talked to them about this once a while ago, and you know about having some students come in as, as assistants, and they were like all for it as long as you know they're paying NYU and going to get a credit for it and this and that, and maybe that legally helps um, the situation on the film because and NYU has the legal responsibility, not the film company. I don't right, know. doing internships that way. Right, college like internships are something else. We need yeah. a new word. We need to rebrand it. Yeah. I, I just wonder though, I mean that NYU is not going to help the non-student who wants to be a music editor who can't necessarily afford the, what is it, $3,000 a semester now? Oh, it's a lot. Yeah. I was kidding. Yeah, it's more than that. Um, I think there might be. It's NYU, Dan. It's, it's, I know, I know. It's we might have an initiative through the Post Alliance. I think that would be something that, I think that's something that should be explored. Yeah. And, and again, you know, moving music people into post-PA jobs where they're working on it, they're not being seen as uh, unpaid interns, which aren't legal, but they're, they're on the job as somebody who wants to be a music, you know, they're the PA that's a music editor, PA. But the, but the PA is also learning film, which is so right. essential here. I mean, you just can't be a music person and, and walk in and, I mean, there's a million things that the film people do. And, and you got to be part of that. You got to know the craft. Thanks so much, everybody. This was great. I, I appreciate getting the opportunity to do this. Um, I'm glad Martin Scorsese wasn't available to do it. And um, <laughs> I, you know, I know we could probably go for another hour and, and keep going um, and talking more about it. And I'm, I'm sorry we're out of time. But um, thank you so much. It was an honor to be able to engage with you guys about this. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you panelists and thank you very much, David. I would just like to uh, promo next week's episode. It will be about the reopening of facilities in New York. So checking in on where we are with the COVID regulations and everything and how work is getting done right now. Um, and with that, we are now gonna be teleported into our breakout rooms for informal networking and chatting. So hold on to your computer <laughs> and uh, bear with us if it's rough for a second, but it worked a few weeks ago. So um, let's go ahead with that now.